The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. If there's any more business that we need to conduct before we close this meeting and continue on in our service. Thank you. Uh, Hearing none, uh, I will now continue on uh, into our worship service now. You know, um, as we look, continue to look at Colossians, it's actually a perfect passage for today. And as uh, I sit in this role um, and charge, oh, I'm sorry, yes, I did forget something, a part of our service, to actually dismiss the kids back. Sorry about that one. Thank you for jumping up and down, waving at me. Uh, (laughs) Hey, kids, would you run on back and go to Jenny Camp, who's waving back at the back? Thank you. Man, I'm glad I have other people around me to help me know what to do here. Well, I guess the story I'm about to tell actually fits perfect into this as well. When I was dating my wife in college, we... um, you know, we, we met and started dating our junior year. Uh, I, uh, I remember that she and my best friend in college decided to pull a prank on me. And they did this kind of cute little prank, just kind of funny, and, you know, did it over a, a weekend. And I'm kind of one of those guys that I have a nasty habit of, if you pull a prank on me, I'm going to pull a prank back, but I'm not just going to do an like equal reciprocity kind of prank. I take it to kind of like not next level, but next two or three levels, you know. It's not a great quality. Uh, it can be if you really want a good story, but not if you uh, want to really grow in that area. <laughs> so I decided one night, we had, uh, I was in a fraternity, and we had all these pledges. I decided, okay, I'm going to get they, my, uh, my now wife, uh, girlfriend then, she and my friend lived in the same apartment complex. And I decided, oh, you know what? I got a great idea. So I called all of our pledges in our fraternity into one room. And I said, and I stood up on a stool in the middle of the room and gave this rousing speech. <laughs> like, and they were just like, yeah. And um, I said, what we're going to do is we're going to take all of her stuff out of her apartment and all of his in their rooms and switch them. I mean, down to the toothbrush, mattress, every single thing. And they started a line of like passing things. You could see, I mean, I remember it all the way across. I mean, they, they, they didn't live real, real close. I mean, it was buildings across and they started passing stuff back and forth. And so I had a couple of our pledges take Megan out, like say, oh yeah, Stacy put us out. He told us we want to take you out for a milkshake or something. Yeah, and just to get her out of the apartment. My other friend was like, uh, out of town even. And so they switched the room. So they come back after that. And imagine to their just horror or amazement that they see every single thing is not theirs. It's some guy's stuff in my room. Like the bedding, the closet. Literally, of course, Megan had more closet space. So we shoved everything. It was like a cartoon. He opened his closet and it just went, <laughs> it just fell on him. He was so angry at me. And here's two responses. <laughs> he was so angry at me. He tried to find, I had to hide my car. He wanted to take my wheels off and put it on cinder blocks. <laughs> and guess what? Megan 
actually loved me. For, she was like, I've got to marry this guy. Um, so she loved it. She was like, this is amazing. Um, but it was, it, talk about two responses. But how confusing. You know, I'm about to read a passage for you from Colossians chapter 3. And we're hitting a point in a letter that Paul wrote in the mid-60s AD to a church um, about how to um, navigate what it means to be a Christian. We've seen a lot of parts of that. And leading up to this chapter in chapter 3, chapters 1 and 2, Paul spends a lot of time, and he does this in every one of his letters, and you'll hear this, a lot of time talking about who are we as Christians, What does it mean to be a Christian? In other words, what's called the indicative, the fact of being a Christian. And what he does usually in the second parts of his letter, speaking here, starting in chapter three, is to say, how do you live that out? The imperative. And I'll have to say, if there's one thing that I think we get confused so often as what it means to be a Christian is we switch those. We work hard on the imperatives, the commands to do, to live out Christianity without first living in the indicative of who we are as followers of Christ, who we are in Jesus. And Paul, when he begins this this portion of scripture, now notice he even begins with, hey, you can't start running with the imperative. You can't just live out commands. Most of us know exactly what that's like. It's like every job, every school, every bad relationship we've had where we try and keep up and do and do and do instead of really living in the relationship out of love. It's how, that's what it is. Because Paul knows that we get confused. We switch them. And we try and live that out and it just becomes a total mess. And we wonder why we get so bored and cynical with, with Christianity and, and coming to church and reading our Bible. We're like, oh, I just got to do it. That's why so many of the, the answers of, hey, when, when I or someone maybe asks you, say, how, how is your relationship with the Lord? Where do we often go? Well, I'm not praying a lot. I'm not reading a lot. We go to that before we talk about the relationship, right? So hear this and listen to the pattern from Colossians 3, 1 through 14. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie with one another, seeing lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You know, I'm going to talk about two things from this passage, and you probably caught them. One is what we're to put to death, and one is what we're so, supposed to put on. And, and, you know, I want to give this, in a sense, it's, it's God's perfect timing in this kind of passage for a charge to not only our new leaders, but to our church. What does it really mean to live in who we are in Jesus? So I'm going to take Paul's break of this passage, and we're going to talk about, again, what does it mean to put to death, and what does it mean to put on? As he begins this passage, he says this right out of the gate. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he provides a list. Again, he says, in what you once walked, in verse 7. In verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. There's this idea of an oldness to it. Put off, put away. Uh, There's a group called the Puritans. I don't know if you've ever heard their name before. Uh, sometimes they get a real bad rap, you know, especially if you hear that name. You're like, oh, aren't they really stiff? Actually, the Puritans were really mindful about what it meant to follow Jesus. They weren't more about doing. They were actually driving back to who. What does it mean to live in the indicative, the fact of who we are in Christ, so that we can live out of that relationship? And they talked about this language, and they put it in a really good way when it says put to death. Paul uses this in a number of letters. They called it what's called mortification. Mortification. It sounds really intense. (laughs) But what they meant was, hey, how do we put to death? We're, We're called, the Bible says, that we're not just supposed to modify behavior. We're actually supposed to mortify the things that are to it the sin in our lives, the part of us. Because if it's true, verse one here says, if then you've been raised with Christ, that means you're with him, seek the things that are above where Christ is. See, Christ didn't just come and modify. He actually died on the cross for our sin, which means that sin is taken very seriously. This list here, and there's many, and we don't have time to break it down just for the sake of the morning. But it means that there's gospel mortification rather than legal mortification. How we put these things to death. Look, if you go to the doctor and your doctor says, hey, we have some health concerns for you. And and, and they list them out, right? And they say, you need to modify your diet. You need to do these things. How seriously do you take them? Now, if you ask doctors in this room, I'm sure there are plenty could say this, that have had people come to them and they give them a list of things and the next time that person comes they sit in, they say, how, how are you doing with these? How many times have we, or have you heard as a doctor, that person come back and say, I'm crushing it, here it is. <laughs> Hardly ever. Because most of the time we think, I'll modify a little bit, I don't wanna change a whole lot. I don't wanna do a lot of these things. Or maybe we get hooked on a diet. Maybe the new year comes, we're thinking, okay, now's the time. I'm going to change again. It's a new year's resolution. But the the Bible here doesn't say modify. It says mortify. It says you need to really get rid of these things. You need to take them with great seriousness, as much seriousness as where you now are, where you are seated with Jesus himself, the one who takes your sin seriously. 
He didn't come to modify. He came to, to mortify. <clears throat> but the difference is, and you know you're doing the, the difference between like going to the doctor and those things, between legal mortification and gospel mortification. Legal is where you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and just get better. I'm gonna, I, you look at, okay, maybe my sin is just getting in the way of me getting better at life or getting better at this Christian thing or getting good we supply, okay, maybe this list, so we, I gotta kill these things. They're hindering my life. I need to kind of like change my behavior. That's legal. That's, your, that's not a relationship with anything other than the things listed here. Notice Paul doesn't talk about these things as a relationship to that. He says gospel mortification, killing these things, means you're looking into a relationship with him. It's the same thing with actually a real relationship in your life. A healthy, good relationship means if you're, there's real issues going on between you and another person, I appreciated Wayne even sharing that illustration in, in, uh, earlier. That you take those, they're addressed. You don't just kind of say, uh, if you slough it off, what, nothing changes. <laughs> but the, the relationship is with Jesus. It's with him where Jesus is, it says. And it's growth in grace, not just getting good. It's growth in grace. I was, we were doing a, a school tour, school tours this week with our son, and, and um, he's looking at some different schools, and, and, you know, we're getting to hear all these mission statements and all these things, and I'll tell you what, I heard one this week that I have not heard, and it actually encouraged me. You know what they said? They said, here's our mission. They, they just unloaded the most beautiful package of a mission statement and everything else, and you know what the guy said at the end? He goes, we're going to completely fail this. We are going to completely botch this. I just want to tell you on the front end, everything I just told you, we're going to swing and miss. But then we're going to pursue it again. We're going to pursue it again. We're going to fail. Don't think this is like we got this down. <laughs> this tour isn't about how we got it together. It's about, hey, where we're striving. And see, growing in grace is very different than growing good. Growing in grace means you see grace growing. You see the character of Christ and that relationship with him growing because you're close to him, not because you're close to virtues. See, there's a difference between those things. It's not just about getting closer to virtues or good things. It's getting close to him because the full extent of what Jesus and, and, and the Lord wants to do through your relationship with him, doesn't stop with one part of you. And that's often what we may do in, in confession. Here's the unnerving thing about Christianity. When you come and you and I confess in these moments, we often may bring one or two things, maybe even in general. Do you know what God's business is about? The whole thing. The things you're not saying. <laughs> the things you are saying, but the things you're unwilling to look at. The corners of your heart that are so darkened and shameful that you think, I don't know if I could even put words to tell on confession what they are. But you know why Christianity is different? Because it's not a behavioral modification. It's about a person who comes into those places to love you there. Amen. If you just ask for good things to come there to change it, what do you feel? Maybe you'll get a sense of accomplishment and maybe you'll feel it, but you'll just grow stale. 
But if someone enters into that place with you, and not just one place, but the place is unwilling, it's unnerving. He transforms you. C.S. Lewis, I love how he said this. And we may have some dentists here um, in the audience, but his, his take on the dentist is fantastic. Listen to what he says in, in, in relationship to what we're talking about. He says, you know, the Lord, if you give him an inch, he's going to take a yard. Let me explain. When I was a child, I often had a toothache, and I knew that when I went to my mother, she would give me something that would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I didn't go to my mother, at, at least, not till the pain became very, very bad. And the reason I didn't go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me something, um, <clears throat> give me the aspirin, but I knew she would do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. And I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. And I wanted immediate relief from the pain. I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew if they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache, they would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they'd take a yard. Now, if I may put it this way, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he will take a yard. Dozens of people go to him to be cured over one particular sin which they are ashamed of or which is obviously spoiling daily life. Well, he will cure it all right, but he won't stop there. Because if you ask him, at once he will come in and he will give you the full treatment. That is the relationship the Lord has with us. That when we not only put to death, but in verse 12 when it says put on then, what you're actually doing is not just putting on virtue. It's not just putting on good. You're putting on who you are in the Lord Jesus. In fact, the actual language, the Greek language for put off and put on is clothes. <laughs> it's clothing. It's actually putting on, wrapping in yourself who you are in this in a new character, not a new personality, not a new niceness when it says put on all these lists of things that you read and you go compassionate, kindness, humility, and then it goes bearing with one another. I mean, how much did we bear with one another even driving here on the car? How do we do that? We don't do it by wrapping ourselves in virtue. We don't do it by asking virtue to come in. This is where Christianity is distinct in every way. What it means is where Christ is. It's distinct in the growth because the Lord Jesus, other than any other religion, philosophy or idea, transforms you from the inside out. Even when you're unwilling, he says, I'm coming for you to clothe yourself in this. Listen to what even the, the Puritans I mentioned, one of the great prayers. If you ever want a good prayer book to help you, God, it's called Valley of Vision, written by these Puritans. Listen to this. My trespasses are known in the heavens, and there Christ is gone also. My advocate is with the Father, my propitiation for sins, my substitute, in other words, and I hear his words of peace. Look, this table that we're coming to, to celebrate exactly that thing. We're coming to a, a table that tells us what we're putting off and putting to death and what we're putting on. You actually get to taste it. 
It's amazing. God is so kind to even give us tangible things to know that. And this is why Christianity is so distinct and separate, that we're not only putting to death something. When you come to this table, you're celebrating that Jesus actually died. You're tasting what we say that even the early Romans said the Christians were crazy, that they were cannibals because they're eating body and blood. What are they doing? It's because we realize what's being put to death is all wrapped up in who we are in Jesus. That he's killing the things that we go, why is it there? That we have an advocate that has taken us up into heaven in him where he stands now physically, tangibly. He didn't lose his body. He's still in bodily form so that you know you have an advocate for every tangible part of your life. And yet, you know what you get to put on when you leave this table? You get to put on exactly what happened when we baptized these beautiful children. Do you know what's happening? It's not about your work just necessarily coming to taste this. It's actually that God, by faith, feeds your insides and transforms you in ways and reaches you, even with a little taste of bread and even taste of juice, God is at work. You taste, you're putting on something different that you can go back to, that you can leave. And as I love, uh, that you're, you're not struggling to be free anymore. You're now free to struggle. That's who is invited to this table. Will you stand with me now?